All right. Well, good morning, guys. How are y'all doing today? We're good Quiet today, aren't y'all? <laughs> yeah. Well, real, real quick, let's uh, let's let's sort of do a little wrap up. I like to do these where we talk about the day before, which we record these podcasts on Monday morning. So, uh, so we usually talk about the Lord's Day previous and just any interesting things that that, that jumped out to you all. Uh, what did y'all think about yesterday? Of course, it was Resurrection Sunday. We had sort of a different schedule and what we did. We did an early sunrise service where you Marvin you preached uh just wonderful wonderful message and then we had uh three testimonies lined up we had Janice Jones we had Consuelo Pyatt and we had Will Wittenbrook the one and only right here who's with us and uh and then we also went into our worship service earlier at 10 o'clock instead of 10 45 so guys any interesting things that just really stood out to y'all from yesterday I, I thought it was um very, uh, you know, God, God really blessed us with with uh, with visitors or an increase in attendance. Yeah. And I think I remember, I, I think it was during our deacon uh, retreat, we had talked about generally in Easter, we see kind of like we don't really we were talking. We said we normally didn't see an influx. We saw kind of like a decrease of people going away to, to visit other areas. But I guess when we start talking about that, God said, "Well, I'm going to show you guys." And yeah. So we 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 had a we had we had a full house, and we had uh, uh, when we first started and the service was going, I went downstairs and counted because I was the uh, greeter uh, for yesterday, one of the two, and we had 20 folks downstairs in addition. To I wondered folks. about that. Well, that is a full house, brother. Yeah, full house. Um, and we had some lessons learned. I mean, we had some couple, we had some glitches that we need to work out in the future. And I think we'll be able to work those out. Uh, require some investment and some infrastructure, but we can get it worked out. Mm -hmm. But I thought mm -hmm. it was, I thought it was such a blessing uh, to just uh, the celebration of, of the, the resurrection of Christ, which we do every Sunday, but just seeing all the other people that normally uh, we wouldn't see uh, um, come mm -hmm. to church. Uh, and uh, it was it was definitely uh, 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 an answer to prayer. It was uh, uplifting, and uh, I, I I really enjoyed the entire worship service the entire day. But I'll tell you what, like you, Van, when I got home yesterday, Kathleen and I were were really exhausted. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, it was an early day, wasn't it? No, I always I'm with Mike on that. I always enjoy the full day um, from the rising of the sun. Uh, not quite to the setting of the same. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I told Dusty, they said, I can go busy at sunset. I said, no, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take uh, a pass on that. Yeah, take a pass on that because he probably, like mm -hmm. us, he went home and just crashed. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, no, it, it's really good. And, you know, I know we have some of the uh, Puritan persuasion that, uh, and I like the fact that we address it as Resurrection Sunday because Easter, it gets the gets a hackles up on some people and they still, and I, I get that. I get that. But again, I think it's good uh, as we did yesterday to look at the resurrection, first of all, as a historical event, because if it, mm -hmm. if Christ didn't really rise from the dead, as Paul said, first Corinthians 15, and you know, we are all, all of all people, most miserable. Uh, but then again, I think I like the ongoing emphasis we make through the day as well of the practical, the practical reality in the Christian life of that, that the Christian life is not possible unless Jesus is risen from the dead. 
great reminder of that. As, as Mike said, every day, every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. Amen. Amen. Will, brother, what stood out to you? Other than someone gave a great testimony that morning. Yeah, Consuelo's right? testimony was very nice. <laughs> uh, the, I think the biggest thing that stuck out was when you were talking about the passage from Luke 24 and how they didn't believe. Yeah. And yet he still chose them. He didn't leave them. He didn't discard them. That emphasized his mercy and grace even more than yeah. beforehand. And the fact that he had already told them that he was going to be put to death and that he would rise again on the third day that they didn't believe that's they most of the disciples were they had disregarded it and were wallowing yeah. in their misery. And two women found the body found that the body was gone yeah that's luke and luke, luke always luke, luke always gives a uh, a high five to the woman yeah and how <laughs> even even though jesus told them it was going to happen the women told them that it did happen and they still didn't believe it, but god didn't leave them he still chose them yeah and that that to me was very powerful and, yeah and uh, I, I i think that's an example really i think it's a good example of God's providence in, in the readings here today uh, is the fact that it, it just blows our mind to think about that. But by the same token, when we think of, when we think of the accusations that are raised against them, the conspiracy theories that, okay, these guys are all motivated to hide the body and do all that. I think this really, even though it shocks us, it really in God's providence is the perfect posture for them because again, I mean, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to assess a conspiracy theory against guys who didn't even believe he was coming back. So, right, mm -hmm. and then who were put to death for believing it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah but uh, it was a good service. I mean, like y'all said, it was a long day, uh, <sighs> but it was a good day, you know. And being able to spend it with you guys, and then go home and take a nap, and then have family over for dinner was. It was very nice. Wonderful. Great day. Great day. All right, guys. Well, let's jump into this and uh, let's just ask the Lord's blessing before we do, because we need a lot of wisdom. Okay. Well, Father, we just pray that you would help us. As we talk about this this morning, as we talk about sovereign providence, as we talk about angels, as we talk about demons, Lord, we've got a lot to talk about. And again, we know uh, we're up against the clock here and uh, we are only going to be able to just touch on many things, only just sort of tangentially. But, but Father, help us to uh, to just discuss these things in a way that would glorify you and that would be edifying for your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, what I want to do this morning, I just want to kick it off by reading Beaky's definition of providence. I think that's a good place for us to start just by nailing the stakes down and defining it. And then let's go off into discussing uh, maybe some things he's raised in his chapter, maybe some uh, other things that, uh, that, that you know about sort of in an antecedent sort of way that you've uh, picked up in the past concerning God's providence. So on page uh, 1059, big book, right? <laughs> he says this, providence is closely related to God's decree and foreknowledge. The word providence derives from a root meaning to see beforehand, not in the passive sense of mere 
foresight and observation, but in the active sense of making all necessary arrangements for the accomplishment of one's purposes. In providence, God who decreed all things for his glory in Christ executes his decree in history by his preservation and control of all his creatures and by concurrence with all their actions so that all his purposes are accomplished. So what Beaky is saying, he's making the distinction here, which which is very good, because I think sometimes it can be confused, uh, a distinction between God's decree and God's providence. God's decree is God choosing beforehand all things that would take place, everything that would happen. It all happens by God's decree. Anything that has come into being, any choices that are made, any actions that are made, they are all by God's decree. Now, the execution of that in time, in creation, that is God's sovereign providence. And that's what we want to talk about today. So, man, I'll just toss it to you with, with nailing down that basic definition. And if you want to add to that, uh, you can. Or if you want to take us on another route, uh, let's discuss sovereign providence. Can, can, may I start by kind of like asking a question, see if I'm reading this right? So sure. I understand God had a decree. So is it like a, was there, can, can we think of this as a, as a step process? We had God's decree and then for the execution of God's decree, it started with uh, creation. And then from creation, the providence came in uh, where he controls all things and, and, and all things uh, exist because of him. He holds all things together. Can we look at providence in that way? It starts with the decree, then the creation, then providence kicks in after the creation. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this, and I'm sure Marvin can add a whole lot to it, but I'll just say this. When, when you talk about God's decree, his decree is is all at once. And so when we talk about things happening in God's decree, we, we talk about a logical order, but not a chronological order. In okay, other words, right. God decreeing something, and then chronologically, you know, like, like, you know, for lack of a better word, two seconds after he decrees something else, decrees something. No, his decree is is all at once. He chose everything that would ever happen in his sovereign decree of his will. That that goes to his being. That goes to his essence. His decree is eternal. But when we talk about providence, the execution of that decree, that does happen in creation, that does happen in time. And so, uh, yes, of course, that would be chronological. We see his sovereign providence, like you said, the very, very first thing would probably be, I would say, the creation of the angels, you know, before the foundation of the world. Job talks about the sons of God, you know, saw the creation of the world. So, so there's this in his providence, there's the carrying out of these things, the executing of these things in time. And of course, uh, the the uh, his sovereign providence in creating the world is much, much before his sovereign providence in bringing Mike Thompson into being into this world or Marvin Jones or Will Wittenbrook. So Marvin, I know you probably have a whole lot you can add to that very simple answer. Well, no, ahead, no that, was, that was quite good. Um uh, I I would agree with that in terms of decrees. It basically is the bed upon which all this rests. Uh, even the creation itself is from the eternal decree of God. Um, but I think that Beaky makes a, a a clear distinction between creation and providence, not to oppose them to each other, but to say that in the matter of creation, uh, whenever whenever Moses says, and he rested from his labors. Uh, and again, the, the uh, Sabbath day is an expression of that. Uh, 
that basically then we then enter into the arena of what we would call providence, and that is the outworking of the decrees through the created order so that we won't see such things as are expressed in the creation again. Um, the uh, creation of the firmaments and the sea and, and so forth. What we will see in the future, however, is a new heavens and a new earth, which again is part of his decrees as well. And uh, in, in the sense that it is a fallen world. Um, and again, we kind of dealt with that the last time we met in terms of uh, where does God, where does the fall relate to, to God's decree? Uh, did God did God decree to fall before uh, uh, decree before creation or or after you know uh, so I I like that distinction he makes and in providence uh, it is the outworking and I think he goes to great pains later and and I'll delay that discussion from them of of kind of clearing the confusion on that is because what we see in creation is a regular order of natural causes uh, that that we rely on uh, that are a part of his providence. But again, he makes the point that these are a continuing providence by the eternal logos, by the word of God, by Christ himself, that at every point in time uh, in the intricate preservation of his created order and of his purposes in it, uh, Christ is, uh, is at every moment uh, decreeing and uh, directing and 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 uh, in him all things consist as 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 it says uh, and I think that's an important distinction there as well it gets into the area of miracles as again uh, supernatural occurrences of things that don't follow the natural cause and effect order um, and some people would say well that falls back into the category of creation well no it doesn't uh, because it's a suborder of that. Uh, for instance, when a uh, uh, when a lame man is, is healed, I mean, there's uh, an instantaneous realignment of, of atrophy, of bone structure, of things like that, uh, just all sorts of things like that. So um, I, I think that's, I think both of you guys have, I think have laid that out properly. That's the way to understand providence uh, is, it's a continuation of creation, not a continuation of creation, but it's the outworking of God's purpose and decree uh, in the created order uh, in a way that manifests his will. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, let, let me ask y'all this and, uh, and, and, and we'll, maybe we'll start off with you. We, we, we've got three sections I'd like for us to touch on here that Beaky divides up God's providence into how God takes action in regard to his providence. And uh, it starts on page uh, 1063. And he, uh, he talks about God's preservation of creation, his governance of creation and his concurrence with his creatures actions. So uh, if I just ask you, you three, can each one of y'all take one of those and just kind of speak to it, summarize it, and uh, we'll we'll start off with you. And I guess I guess on my screen we'll go left leftward, and uh, we don't want to drift left, but we will for this. Uh, we'll go to Marvin and then Mike. Uh, you if you'll pick up the last one, Mike, whichever one remains. So so these are these are how God you know brings His providence about in these three spheres. So we've got preservation, 
And these are all concerning creation, preservation, governance, and concurrence. Or I know reading James White, the 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 uh, um, the word James White likes to use is compatibilism. Yeah. Uh, so concurrence or compatibilism. So, yeah. uh, so Will, which one do you want to pick up there and just kind of talk preservation. about? Okay. So it's all kind of boils down to the fact that God's in control mm -hmm. and that his purposes will be accomplished through us. And you see that time and time again through scripture with calling up Abraham and the, um, his promise to Abraham that he's going to, through Sarah, he's going to have a descendant that's going to, his descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars. And it was going to be through Sarah. Well, Abraham tried to make it happen on his own with Hagar and God said, nope, not, not Ishmael. It's through Sarah. And then each and every time that he encountered a king, God sent problems with the king and so that the king wouldn't go into Sarah so that there would be no question as to who the parent of Sarah's child would be. Mm -hmm. You see that time and time again, God intervening in his creation to preserve not only his creation, but to preserve his promise to that creation. You see that God's promises won't be thwarted and that when he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, and on page 1063, it says creation constantly experiences God's care. There's a lot, there's a trend in some spheres of, of Christianity that talk about God setting things in order and then kind of stepping back kind of as a deistic approach. But that's not what scripture testifies to. Scripture testifies that God is intimately in control of his creation. Mm -hmm. He is intimately interested in the preservation of his creation for his purposes, for his glory. And I just think that that's, that's really the, the essence of his pre the preservation of all his creation. It's for his glory and for our good, but ultimately it's for his glory. It's for his sovereignty. And when we recognize that God's in sovereign and God's in control of all things, that he is going to be that his purposes aren't going to be thwarted. So when we're facing evil circumstances, there's hope that we have because it's got to be for a purpose that's for his glory and ultimately for our good. Um, just the last paragraph on page 1065 of that section says, therefore the trying God constantly works in his creation for his glory and creation constantly receives his goodness. Hmm. Herman Baving said, God is no indolent God. He works always, and the world has no existence in itself. From the moment it came into being, it has existed only and through and unto God. That's good. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like what it, um, he says. He quotes William Gurnall, or he doesn't quote. He just talks about what William Gurnall said on page 1063, which, by the way, I've been reading a lot of Gurnall. He's got – William Gurnall has a – a book that ha makes this book oh i know look a little smaller and it's called the christian in complete armor and it's all about ephesians 6 i mean you talk about these guys drilling down i mean it's uh so with us getting to ephesians 6 i've been doing a lot of reading there but i like what he says here concerning god's providence over creation he says william gurnall said that as god's children travel through this world 
they may rest assured that all their needs will be paid for in their journey home because their all-sufficient God is with them. And I love this, but their father holds the wallet, not they themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just good stuff. That, that's so Puritan. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, so definitely God's preservation and all his creation. Thank you, Will. So Marvin, uh, we've got two other sections, God's preservation and uh, his governance and God's preservation, uh, not God's preservation, but providence in governance and God's providence in concurrence with his creation. Which one of those do you want to pick up? Well, I'll, I'll go with the next in order there with his okay. governance or as he as he subtitles it, God's control of all his creation, because it it does have one point in there that I that I do want to emphasize that I I think is very important. Um, when he talks about the governance or control of all his creation, um, he is ordinarily talking about as he preserves all things that he made. He also rules over all things and all events. Divine control is not coercive uh, tyranny, he says, but a consequence of God's infinite power, omnipresence, and authority over his creation. And I think that's important when he says it's not coercive tyranny uh, because of the fact that there are such strong and momentous events that are seen as a result of that. But in this section, he, uh, I think he breaks it down into one that is less controversial and one that, as he says in the next in the next chapter actually presents most philosophical and theological objections, I, I guess. And he talks about uh, God's divine is, is universal on the bottom of 1065. Uh, and he says it it's over every, it's over every area. There is no, there is no, uh, there is no sphere, no area, by the way, on earth or in heaven. Uh, that is that is not under his control. Uh, he says, as Augustine said, God's wisdom and power pervade all things and sweetly order them. So in other words, there is the pervasion in terms of the his omnipresence. Uh, but that uh, obje- uh, that answers one of the objections of the problem of evil and the fact that he also sweetly orders them, as as Augustine said, he can do both. I take his control. Then he goes on to say the Lord controls the weather. And again, he quotes the Psalms. He quotes other, other scriptures there. In other words, uh, meteorological conditions, even in the biblical times, uh, were those that are, they're by nature uh, unstable. I mean, they, they have a lot of, they have a lot of factors that come into them. God is able to do those to, to preserve his purposes. He says God governs plants and animals. Um, again, that's uh, goes uh, that goes to the to the question of him using them as, uh, as part of the order. Uh, he then says the Lord controls the nations of mankind, um, and this again I think is an important lesson for us as well to understand the whole concept of, of government. Um, and Van, as you were saying earlier, Romans thirteen, uh, Paul actually uses the word uh, the word uh, uh, for um, uh, the, the the word there for uh, creation. Catesis. He says uh, government is a cre- is a creation. Uh, in other words, it's not uh, it's Paul. not something that's <laughs> foisted. It's not something that's foisted onto, but mm-hmm. it's something that's inherent in 
the it's something that that's inherent in the um, in the creation itself and is uh, order and judgment actually are essential for the ongoing nature of uh, of the creation. Then he says in 1067, God rules over the events in every human life. Um, and I think this, again, is something we would agree with and I think is so important, even to the point of the conception of a child. Um, and again, I mean, there are numerous examples in the Bible where the purposes of God for a child are set out, the promises are set out, even before the child is ever conceived. Going through the material on um, uh, Jesus and John the Baptist, uh, you, you both see a lot of activity in the womb concerning both of them as well, mm -hmm. particularly John the Baptist, uh, which is uh, uh, indicative, really, of, of this kind of care. Um, he says, then Hannah concludes that by strength shall no man prevail. And again, Hannah is one, I think, one of the best biblical examples of this in the sense that her trust in God is simple and pure, but yet powerful in the sense that uh, as she believes God is going to provide a child for her, God's larger purpose is that he would provide uh, he, he would provide um, uh, one of the greatest characters in the Bible in terms of his faithfulness, uh, in terms of his faithfulness to God, and that is Samuel. Um, but uh, the, the point I, he, he makes here is one that uh, I've been impressed with for years. And again, I don't want to make a, a big deal out of it. But on the bottom of 1067, last paragraph, he says, one practical application of this doctrine is confidence in the complete inspiration and trustworthiness of the Holy Scriptures. Uh, he says, Benjamin Warfield explained that when people study the Bible, they may often recognize the human factor in its origin. They see, uh, they see how much it was shaped by the personality and culture of its human writers. Uh, they reason that it is uh, that as far as it is human, it, it is not divine. And so the Bible must be a mixture of God's word and man's word. Um, and then against this false conclusion, Warfield reminded us God's providence is over all. And I, as a practical matter, and, and uh, Van, you paid attention for the, to this for years as I have, uh, that the modern stance on biblical inerrancy comes out of the Chicago statement on biblical inerrancy. And mm -hmm. if you look at the panel of that, uh, the vast majority are reform, are reformed theologians, Presbyterian Baptist or whatever. And I think that's not by accident. RC Sproul indeed being right in the middle of that as well. Uh, I think that's not by accident because really in order to understand, uh, the inerrancy of scripture, uh, and the infallibility of Scripture, you have to understand not only that God is its author, but you also have to have this overarching understanding of God's providence uh, in not only in nature itself, uh, but also uh, over human over human uh, 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 over human instruments as well, uh, to the sense that uh, God's providence is even over. Uh, although some would laugh this to scorn, God's providence is even over, over um, uh, Paul's uh, dis, uh, Paul's uh, decision in, uh, say, Philipp in uh, Ephesians, for instance, uh, as to what verb to use mm -hmm. uh, or what noun to use. Uh, one of the God's providences actually in uh, in uh, in the uh, development of the Greek language was the fact that it is so expressive. Uh, and so colorful in the extent that you have a wide range of, of uh, figures you can you can draw from. Uh, 
Yeah, even that, coming down to the active and passive, you know, is exactly. is the subject doing something or is yeah, something being done exactly. to the subject? And sometimes a whole turn of a sermon yeah. can active be just passive. on that. Exactly, yeah. active, passive, or middle. There's a middle voice as yeah, well, which, 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 which again, sometimes, uh, sometimes can can change the whole the whole uh, the whole uh, trajectory of a of a passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I don't want to belabor. I know I'm I'm going deep into the weeds, and I'll I'll conclude with this uh, because I think this is the best example of God's control over human events. We'll have opportunity later to talk about God's control over events in relationship to. M- man's sin and so forth. Uh, so uh, that he just introduces it at this point, but I do think it's interesting. I do think it's interesting to, uh, to look at this and to see where really a robust doctrine of scripture has to come out of this understanding of God's providence, not only to the extent that he does use the mind and the experiences of the human author of Paul, of James, of Peter, of Moses, um, um, of um, uh, of uh, 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 any of the uh, of any of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, any of the minor prophets, Amos, and so forth, uh, that he does use, and I think it's important in the. I think it's. I think to that extent, it's really important in the beginning of the prophecies, that the beginning of every prophecy tells you who's doing it and what his background is. Well, I'm a I'm a vine dresser. Uh, well, I'm a shepherd, you know, I'm mm. a, and, and so forth. That immediately sets in context, really, the author's touch with their environment and the as, and the and the aspect or the viewpoint that he has in coming into that. Um, we have to believe that they can set these down. Just to just to speak in a human manner is not, by definition, error. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it is not necessary to affirm that. Um, now, where where we get into an area, however, is in textual criticism, where we don't so much uh, question the biblical writers, but we question, but we question how the how the texts are transmitted. But even in that van, I, I know you preservation, would agree with this. yeah. Yeah, preservation. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Warfield has a great section in preservation on inspiration and authority of the Bible, and he says this is an important aspect of of the of the doctrine of Scripture. Uh, but but even in that, uh, we all know that the New Testament is the best attested ancient book by far. Uh, the, the, I think second is uh, uh, one of the works of Plato. I think, uh, but in terms of the uh, the breadth of man, surviving manuscripts uh, of the of the uh, collation of those in terms of and, and the geographical distribution, not all from one area and all that, we have we have the ability by divine by divine providence actually to reconstruct the text so that we say we can say okay the biblical writers were inerrant and inspired and infallible, but the text we have is is corrupted. We don't. Yeah, what they said was inerrant, but what we have, I mean, we never will get back to that. Um, And and the fact of the matter is we can't, and it's an essential part of that. And I think where a lot of theologians go astray on that is really kind of swallowing that. Uh, I know when I was at Southwestern uh, that there was, uh, uh, in order to skirt the coming, uh, the the, the looming uh, uh, specter of the inerrantist 
uh, as they said, taking over the convention, uh, what you saw there was a development of a doctrine they called functional inerrancy, uh, in, in which they said, well, the words aren't inerrant, but the God's purpose in what he wants to use them for uh, is inerrant. In other words, he accomplishes his divine purpose through these fallible words. And so, uh, again, we see that that objection through a lot of the other part of this as well. So anyway, in terms of his governance of of his creation, both the created order itself and also uh, through humans, um, I I think it's complete. And again, I think the the best case study of that is the the doctrine of Scripture. Yeah, definitely. But one thing I just want to touch on that Beaky mentioned, and you also mentioned as well, was when you talk about, you know, God's... uh, uh, sovereignty over all things that take place. And one of the things you mentioned was the weather. It was interesting. I had, a uh, when I was in seminary, I had a conversation with a guy who we would, uh, take turns riding to work with each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, from Wake Forest where Southeastern is to where we work, which was research triangle park in Durham. I, I was a security guard at GlaxoSmithKline, a pharmaceutical, uh, sorry about that guys. A pharmaceutical. So, yeah, so, oh, yeah. Now I lost all respect. You're a big pharma guy. Oh yeah, yeah, boy, big pharma. <laughs> I, I was there. I, I was in the heart of the beast. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so we, uh, uh, so as we're going down, we're talking about this, and and you know a lot of these doctrines are new to me at that point in seminary, and he was wrestling with them too, but but I mean I, I was just convinced of this. I mean after reading Calvin, yeah, uh, I saw God does everything for His own glory. God is all powerful. He decrees everything, and and like this says, he carries out all his decree by sovereign providence. So as we're going, it, it is starting to rain, and he said, well, would you say that that raindrop that just hit the windshield as we're going, you know, 65 miles an hour down Highway 98 to go get to, to RTP, would you say that, that God decreed that that raindrop would hit right there on the windshield? And that it came about, you know, by his sovereign mm-hmm. providence. Right. And, and I said, yes. And he just shook his head. He said, I just can't believe that, that he, he believed in that, that general sovereignty right. where God just said, you know, there's going to be rain and it's going to fall according to these natural laws and things like that. Right. But, um, but I asked him, I said, I said, would well, you believe that God is sovereign over our, our times and seasons, our life and death? And he said, yeah, I said, so, so you believe your death is going to come about by the sovereign decree of God in his providence that you will die at a certain time in a certain place, according to a certain means. And he said, yes, I said, well, what if he chooses to, to bring you to death by a, a deluge that comes down and we go off the road and have an accident. Uh, you know, in other words, I was trying to get him down to, right. okay, you say he's not sovereign over this one drop hitting here on the windshield, but what about five drops? What about 10 drops? What about a deluge that comes down so much that my windshield wipers just can't get the water off in time and everything's just a big blur out there. And I just, we go sailing right off the road. And so I, I, it, it had him thinking then, you know, right. and, and it is, and you know, all our theology has to be consistent. A lot of times we just yeah. need to follow out our thinking all the way to the logical end. Exactly. There. It becomes a matter of scale then. And that's the argument you're yeah. making is, okay, is your objection uh, just because this is so small and inconsequential? I, I don't know. I like what you did there. Yeah. 
All right, Mike, let's kick it over to you and let's talk about concurrence, which is probably the most <laughs> controversial section. Yeah, and then the longest section. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, I'll give it a I'll give it a shot. Uh uh he starts out by uh when uh, talking about the topic, uh he said that it uh, the universe the universality of divine providence implies that we cannot assign some effects to God's will and others to creaturely causes. And uh, it's uh, he goes on to say the concurrence of God's providence with the act with actions of His creatures, which means that the two operate to, together to produce an effect. Literally, they run with each other. Um, and then he, he goes into it on page 1071. He starts breaking down things of like a primary cause and a secondary cause uh, with God is the primary and uh, creatures is the secondary cause. But he, he does highlight in his in his text that the highest and primary cause uh, is uh, God's will uh, takes precedent and reigns and works uh, through creaturely causes. Um, so he highlighted that. And I'm just going to kind of go through and touch on the, the hot the uh, the topics that are the high points that I thought out of each of the uh, uh, subsequent paragraphs. Um, but uh, we, William Ames he quotes William Ames and he says that there is nothing in the providence of God that imposes a necessity to things, forcing them unnaturally to go in a particular direction. But he does. But he deposes this. Excuse me. Disposes all things sweetly that is exactly as it is congenial to the nature of things as he personally imparts to those things in creation preserves and disposes by his own providence so um he he highlights that that like with uh, man is different from all other creatures we can we can we can walk we can think we can uh do various things that other creatures can't do and we're not uh, confined by God uh, and, and, and coerced into doing certain things, but um, and instead, God, God, uh, uh, he, he he states premates all secondary causes and motions uh, to the to the conclusion of the fact that He wants. So, um, as an individual, I I can do things, I can make decisions and take actions, but God, it, God has. Uh, God is controlling me. God, you know, again, all this goes back to what I what we've said in the past. You know, you can't you can't believe in this stuff or or and, and live this stuff unless you believe in the sovereignty of God. So, you know, I believe in the sovereignty of God. So God does control me, but yet I do have, based on what God has in, in, instilled in me, I do have the uh, the capability to think, to walk, to make decisions, to be discerning. But but God knows that because God God is God created me. I'm in the image of God, so He created me and He put those those essence in me, and He uses my actions to accomplish His purpose. That's 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 in me. And then I you know again, this subject is controversial, as you said, but uh, and I can't explain it. It's beyond my my mind. Uh, you know how God can put things uh, and use His cre His creatures, His creation to accomplish His purpose. Um, but uh, to go on, he said, God works by concurrence with natural necessary causes and in the created order. So um, uh, the scripture can refer to what we call the laws of nature as God's decree, ordinance, and covenant in their, in their, con in their continuance in our fallen world. And he, he references Noah 
And then he said, science and Christianity are not fr are friends, not enemies. Science builds upon the assumption of a rational world sustained by the providence of wise and powerful maker. Um, but God gives us free choice as moral agents. He, uh, that's, that's, he highlights that in, in his narrative. Uh, we must admit, he says, that we cannot understand how God acts because uh, God is uh, infinite on our upon the wills of us but he does he acts upon the wills of us by that i want to say it's you know we're creating this image as that moral fiber we have and and as children of god we're, we we're indwelled with the holy spirit i mean so our secondary causes are are um complement him as the primary cause and he says god never sins or causes sin by the or or i'm sorry uh, God never sins or causes sin, but he does withhold spiritual sight and discernment from people. So um, by what God, the way I took that is by what God reveals to it, to us, to man, to his children, or even, or even uh, for those that are not uh, saved, he can uh, cause them to see or not see things or have discernment or not have discernment in, in the application of his truth. Um, and he works out his holy will. Uh, through through his his children, and he highlights that he can also uh, act out his will through the actions of sinful men. Um, what uh, just there's <laughs> there's a lot. Let me let me. Yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna skip on, but uh, uh, some sections. Um, and he quotes Calvin uh, is is writing to all this that nothing takes place by chance so nothing takes place by chance god ha god has a, a role in, in all all actions uh, nothing is is by happen chance nothing is by um, uh, luck uh, and then he uh, he ends uh, the section where he talks about um, i guess this gets into i guess the accomplishment of, of god's will or purpose uh, victory is not found in the size and strength and our equipment of an army, but in the nature, or excuse me, but in the name of the Lord. We must therefore live by faith and not by sight. When it seems that God's providence works against his promises, let us not give up. Nothing is sure than the promises of God backed by the power of God and fulfilled in uh, the Christ of God. So uh, again, it goes back. God is in control of everything. God is the creator. He holds everything together. I mean, when I was going through reading this section, I mean, the, uh, the the first chapter of John just constantly went through my mind that how God holds everything together. God controls everything together through Christ. And and yet, you know, at the same time, Christ was on the earth walking and interacting with man and he was holding all things together. So mm -hmm. I just that that just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But that, thanks, Mike. Uh, so I've got a question for Will. OK. So, so Will, we're, we were, uh, and, and just to let y'all in on some of the pre-podcast conversation we had going on, we were talking about whether uh, we should just do straight audio or include video. And one of the things, advantages of doing straight audio that was brought up is, is no one has to like dress up or things to, to do it because you can't see anybody. And, uh, and, and Mike, if I can share this, Mike, Mike said, yeah, I wouldn't have to comb my hair, you know, that early in the morning. Now, Will, let me ask you this. I clearly. I'm not Mike sure Cox, I'm comfortable with this, yeah. where this conversation yeah, yeah. is going. Yeah, I think, I think this is a hanging curveball right here. So, so Mike Thompson 
as you can look at his hair, it clearly has his hair comb this morning. Okay. And you have a nice inventory as, as well, my brother. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so obviously in the decree of God and in the sovereign providence of God, he wanted Mike Thompson to have his hair. And this is a very low example and a question. He wanted Mike Thompson to have his hair combed by seven 30 this morning when the podcast started. Now, did did God sort of get lucky that Mike chose to do that? So here's God. I, I want Mike's hair combed by 7.30 on a Monday morning, and I'm glad these things lined up so that Mike would choose to do that. Or did God say, I am going to ensure that Mike Thompson has his hair combed by 7.30 in the morning, and these are all the secondary causes that are going to fall out so that that will be accomplished according to all my holy will. Yes. <laughs> Ask the lawyer there. You get don't yeah. give him an or question. Oh, no. So so who, think, whose will is the over the other? Yeah. I think the second one. I think that, I, that God had ordained it, that God had planned it, but Mike was still the instrument, still choosing to do it. And okay. and how we are able to have the both and there i don't i think it's going to have to remain a mystery until yeah. we get to eternity that was leading me to my second question and you already answered it because i was going to say if you do choose the second then why can mike thompson not have grounds to say well that makes me a robot you know but, but, how can uh, how can i choose yeah well, and choose another way it's that, not necessarily robotic not I think that when we talk about God's decrees and God's plans, that when God gives us a new heart, our wills, our desires are our own in a sense, but but they're because what what God has done inside of us. Right. And it's the same when God chooses to pass over us. Our natural inclination apart from God is also going to be our own, excuse me, but it's going to be bent towards evil and destruction. And so in in one very real sense, it's going to be, yes, this is my will, but my will, just because my will is my will, it's also aligned with God's will mm-hmm. and God's purposes and God's decrees. And again, it's going to have to be, it, it's both Mike's will to comb his beautiful mane, <laughs> and uh, it's also God's will for him to uh, have it done. And God accomplishes that purpose using, in concert, Mike's will. Yeah, and and I Mike, think. Oh, go ahead, Marvin. Oh, I think, I think, I think it, it, it's also the fact that we're just easy creatures to predict. Uh, uh, God uh, can, by by His providence, can order the events in our lives, secondary events that really go along with our inclinations our desires or whatever and so in that sense then um it's very easy it's very easy to predict what someone is going to do god doesn't guess about it but he knows and i think a lot of times even even to the detriment even to our sins and our disobedience even in that take pharaoh as an example of that I mean, God knew all along Pharaoh's heart. He knew that he had a, uh, that's one of the reasons he became Pharaoh. And part of establishing of that is he has a strong will. Uh, he doesn't take correction easily. And then that, not only that, uh, he is uh, someone who wants to amass power. 
And what he does, if he lets these Hebrew people go, he basically has lost his workforce. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were doing the slave labor. Uh, and so all these things come together. God knows that's going to happen. Uh, does he determine it? Yes. But again, he determines it by means knowing that this is Her uh, this is uh, Pharaoh's inclination, uh, that given these circumstances, that that's that it's not hard to predict, even from a human level, it's not hard to predict that that's what he's going to do. And I think that a lot of that is related to that. Uh, it uh, is in a much higher and a more sublime level, the same thing that uh, that an author does, a novelist does in turn in trying to move a plot along. Um, a good author, whenever you look at establishes basic human motivations, and particularly in mystery novels, basic human motivations. And from there, if you're careful, you can work out the plot yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I think we see that also in human life as well. Uh, uh, advertisers, I'd say even Facebook, social media camps on that. Uh, uh, we, we talk about, I mean, uh, Facebook, if you follow it for a while, you know, it basically drives you along. <laughs> if you express an interest in something, you learn more about it than you ever wanted to. In right. other words, it's driving, it's driving your behavior. Well, if we can do that on a human level without any violation to our will, uh, and you say, well, I mean, yeah, somebody behind this, well, maybe there's an algorithm driving that or whatever. I mean, uh, well, there's somebody behind the algorithm, but in, a, in, in all that to say that God cannot do that as well without, without being the author of sin, just giving us up to our desires and our interests and our motivations. Uh, there's nothing wrong about that. I mean, it, it seems to me to be reading off just a basic fact of human nature. Yeah. It's like a chess match. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. You're, no, you're, no, no. We're all set up into yeah. uh, rules and we're subject to the laws of nature. And, and yeah. we have inclinations and God ordains things and, and sets us up in a position where we can have a, a limited number of choices and movements, but we're still but subject it's a free to choice. the rules of the game. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And we're not only subject to the rules of the game, but there's an infinite level of predictability based on our movements. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now let me let me ask you a, a question of clarification here, because there there would be some, and I would say many, who would hold to the doctrine or the teaching of God as the cosmic chess player, who would at the end say that that final choice that you make is not ordained by God and does not have to come into being. In other words, God has so lined up everything that basically, when it comes right down to it, you will use your your unadulterated will, well, I should say unadulterated, but a will not affected by the sovereignty of God to choose something that happens to coincide with what God wants. Now, you guys aren't saying that, are you? You're not no, saying no. that at the end of the day that, that God has no ultimate sovereignty or control over the actual no. choice you choose at the end of it. You're saying that he can do all this, line everything up, bring you yeah. to a certain thing through secondary causes and that that thing was set, that choice you made was set from all eternity past, right? To me, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Okay. Uh, my, my point was, if a human author can do this with a level of predictability, or if social media can do this with a level of predictability, how much more God? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think infinitely wise and taking into view not only his control, uh, and this goes back to my section on God's control of everything, of the elements uh, of the elements of the weather, of natural factors and things like this, playing off those into the interaction of causes within the human mind. 
and whether those are determined or not. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I, I think as we all know, there, well, let, let's put it like this. Uh, you know, scientists tell us that we only use 10% of our, of our brain. Part of that is we're just lazy, but even the most industrious of us, uh, don't go beyond that because we, first of all, don't have a knowledge, don't have a knowledge, but secondly, uh, you know, we have all kinds of barriers to that. Um, and so at that point then, I, I think that's a factor as well. Good, good. All right. Well, I, and by the way, rest easy. We're not going to get to angels and demons today. Okay. Marvin, that'll give you another week to load your Heiser bullets back in the chamber. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, brother, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm reaching for Heiser on another topic right now. Uh, <laughs> Heiser and my and our and our book and our boy and our boy Van Dorn. I'm I'm reaching for them. There there are interesting applications there in the baptism of Jesus as well, as far as the location of that. So stay tuned. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> which, which by the way, let, let let us just summarize this real quick. Uh, Michael Heiser, very good, very interesting insights on uh, angels, demons. Uh, uh different locations things in scripture geography the significance of certain mountains and all so recommended for for those things and a few other things horrible on reformed theology no and he, I, would, he, I would say he, even off on the doctrine of the image of god as well yep i would agree with that yeah so uh, uh but but uh yeah he gets a lot of the other stuff right and he opens up a whole area of investigation that mm-hmm. uh that is uh that i i think brings us back to something we need to be aware of basically uh, the spiritual world um uh, how how rich and varied it actually is more so than just humans and angels absolutely absolutely all right well uh what else can we say about providence let's just kind of sum up uh everything we can look at maybe some more uh controversial things but uh but uh oh there was one other thing i I wanted to say uh in the doctrine of sovereign providence and and it kind of uh goes to to what i was saying before where um where god being sovereign over everything now uh beaky gives a quote by none other than the one and only benjamin franklin uh <laughs> who again is no good christian theologian but this quote really serves a purpose and and i'm amazed that beaky sort of abridged the quote but but i, I want to and i can't remember what page it's on but i want to read the whole quote I, I pulled it up here online i looked it up and it said this. Now, now think about the sovereign providence of God over the smallest detail and what it can end up at. So here's what here's what Benjamin Franklin says. He says uh, this: for the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. Talking about a horseshoe and a, and a horse. So for the want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For the want of a horse the rider was lost for the want of a rider. The battle was lost for the want of a battle. The kingdom was lost and all for the want of a horseshoe nail. And so I think that does a great job in just showing uh, how the smallest little thing can set off. Well, like Beaky says, like the butterfly effect, you know, uh, what is it? A butterfly flaps his wings right. on this side of the earth and there's a tornado or whatever on the other side of the earth. Yeah, it's supposed to be the origin of a theory of chaos, but on the other hand, it really is not. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, again, you know, 
I know that sort of stretches our minds. And I know a lot of people just flat out don't want to believe that God is in the details like that. We're content for God to be in the big things. Like, you know, we're going to, we're going to pray that, that God, you know, puts this person in as president and not this person. But when you're praying that prayer, what are you praying? You're praying that God will affect a whole lot of individual Mm -hmm. decisions at the voting booth, right? I mean, how else is it going to happen? So, so it's like, we're content to pray about that. And we're content to, to, to look at the sovereignty of God on that level, but to look at it as in my decisions are underneath the will of God. My, the steps I take on a daily basis are underneath the work, will of God. Any little thing that happens is underneath the providence of God. And I think it was Sproul who said that, uh, that man chooses and God chooses, but man's choosing is underneath God's choosing. Yeah, and really, it has to be like that, right? If if you got two there who are choosing, someone's will has to come underneath someone else, right? So, mm-hmm. whose will is going to be sovereign? Mm-hmm. The sovereign Lord. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I'm just when I was reading this, and just even again while while we're talking, it's just can you imagine and just think, you know, the secondary causes, but the the, the secondary causes cause effects on other secondary cause and effects that causes God's purpose to be accomplished. I mean, it just, there could be many secondary effects or causes that impact others that cause Mm -hmm. God's uh, plan, God's will to be accomplished. And it just, it's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let let me ask you this. You you just made me think about something, Mike. Uh, I, I was trying to think of how often God seems to work without means and, and I couldn't come up with a lot like like my thinking was more along the lines of of sort of like medical uh supernatural things that happen like you go in you've got a brain tumor and uh and then you go in for a checkup six months later to see if it's grown and it's it's not there it's just gone you know no um no medical intervention yet they're looking to see if it continues growing. What are we going to do? We're we going to try to treat it with medication or surgery or whatever. And, and it's just gone. I mean, so, so there, you know, there's no means being used uh, to use the old word of, of immediate and immediately, you know, we think of immediately as doing something fast, but, but in the old usage, there's a sense of which, you know, is, is a means being used? Is it immediate or is it immediate is no, or no means being used. And so that, to me is something that's immediate that the God just, he just did it. You know, it, it was there and it's gone, but yet you think of so many other things you think of secondary causes. Like for example, if there's a hut on the, uh, on the shoreline of Japan and God wants that hut just gone. I mean, surely he can just do it. He can just, he can just stop withholding what holds it together and it's just gone. It's obliterated or God can, have a tsunami come in a secondary means to obliterate that cabin oftentimes he uses that secondary means so i was just trying to think of you know the things god does immediately and the things god does immediately i mean what do you it seems to me like most everything god does is immediate he uses secondary causes i mean what do you guys think no i think that's right uh the immediate cause as you say we generally uh categorize as miracles or something along that uh, where you have like spontaneous generation and things like that. Uh, this is where I think initially we were saying we want to be careful not to not to move this back into the uh, into the doctrine of create creation, the creative yeah. order itself. 
uh, this is still a matter of providence. Mm-hmm. Uh, e- even if, uh, even if, uh, but God should give a man who lost his leg in combat, even if he should grow him a new one. Uh, I've never heard of that happening. But again, if it, it, it is possible within that to do that, because God has the God has the ability to do that. Yeah, and I, when you were talking about the, the thing with the brain tumor, and it, it's no no treatment or anything, but one thing we don't know is, I mean, uh, so we hear stories of that, but we hear stories of uh, that being people praying for that individual too. So we don't know how, how uh, our 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 individual prayers have have like uh, uh, have um, have been the means by which God used you know to cure that individual to accomplish another purpose mm-hmm. to show His glory you know His His power I mean. It, I mean, if you're, I can just, you can just imagine um, someone's cured, no sign at all. But the, the individuals around them, believers and non-believers, when they see that, they got to say, "Man, this is this is supernatural." There, you know, it speaks that there is a God, and then maybe it causes somebody to 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 uh, to to hear and see themselves, to hear the word of God, and to see themselves compared to to a holy and righteous God. It, from who, who, what they really are, and that they need it. They need a Lord and Savior. <laughs> mm-hmm. True, true. All right, guys. It looks like our time is about up. Uh, any parting shots? Uh, Will, we'll start with you. We'll just go right down the line. Will, Marvin, and Mike. Well, at any... the end of uh, chapter fifty-two, not fifty-two. I'm sorry. Yeah, fifty-three. I, I really appreciated how it spoke about the problem of evil. When we talk about God's sovereignty and then how to right. deal with the problem of evil. Right. Um, and page 1094, um, the second full paragraph down says, in the middle, it says, The problem of evil finds a satisfying, though not exhaustive, answer in the basic plot of the Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, and completion. And then it presented an outline of common questions or concerns about God's existence, his righteousness. Um, do our hearts rise against God to con- to accuse him? And do we demand that God explain his ways? And then the biblical answers for each of those and for every category for creation, fall, uh, redemption and completion. And um, then at the end, providence applied I, I love the application parts of this book where they talk, they don't just give you the academic doctrine of providence, but give you some practical things to think through that helps you understand providence and how to rightly apply it in your life. And it says it, there's three special benefits of knowing God's providence that we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things which may hereafter befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Hmm. And then it goes through to kind of flush out each of those those um, parts. And I, that was the most uplifting thing that I found from, from that reading on Providence was to understand that when we're facing adversity, it's part of his providence when we're yeah. are blessed with good things that's part of his providence and mm-hmm. and that our future hope is also part of his providence that we 
we have a hope because God's in control. And that when we're facing trials and we're facing hardships, that we can look towards the future hope that we have in Christ. Hmm. Yeah. Amen. Great. Amen. Yeah. And, and just to, to let you guys know uh, what we'll address, uh, the Beaky address, the problem of evil, uh, that basically is stated as oftentimes it's stated as a, as an argument against the existence of God. But basically it says, okay, if you have, if you have God, if you have this powerful being, uh, he is so powerful, he can prevent evil mm -hmm. and he is so good that he should prevent evil. And then they say, well, God is both of those. God is, uh, powerful perfectly powerful. He is perfectly good. So if that kind of God exists, there's not going to be evil, but then they say, okay, there is evil. And so therefore, uh, in the syllogism, they say God doesn't exist, but then we'll brought out the solution to that perfectly. So that's, uh, that's real good. So Marvin, what, 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 what do you got to say? What part well, of I, comments? No, I'm in the same section that, that uh, will is. And again, I th thought we thought that was very helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, what struck me was the fact of um, when we deal with the problem of evil, and let's just say not only at a philosophical, but more, but more likely at a pastoral and personal level, mm -hmm. what we what we find is that very often that the uh, that the reality is overwhelmed by emotions, uh, and it's hard to extricate those. And I thought that the uh, uh, section that he that he did here on. 10 1095 and again that or beginning on 1094 uh where, where he says the doctrine of creation and then he says some some objections do we doubt god's existence and so forth uh but i think uh in the middle of 1095 he says the doctrine of the fall traces all our misery back to man's disobedience against god the sin of our first father adam plunging us all into a state of sin and misery that we constantly reinforce with our own sins and I think in the problem of evil that we really, that we really lose ourselves in that. And I think he, I, I think he says, uh, do we find the horror and finality of death to be an obstacle against trusting God? And he, he replies, God did not create man in misery and mortality. Death is God's righteous judgment against our sin. Let us be horrified at sin. I think that's very helpful. Are we embittered by the problem of evil? We should think more upon the, pro upon the problem of good. Uh, Augustine says evil is the privation of good or the lack mm -hmm. of good. That really is the larger issue. Why would God give any good thing to sinners such as we who deserve distress, anguish, desolation, and rejection forever? Why am I not in hell even now deprived of all good and, in and uh, inflicted with no just punishment? Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's a matter of framing there. Uh, again, and Job is a is a great is a great treatise on that, uh, biblical treatise on that, and uh, uh, I, I really like that. And it, the pastoral, uh, as Will said, the the pastoral application of this as well, um, and in pastoral counseling situations, Van, you've had much more of those than I have. I think you find yourself uh, as a as preliminary work into this is wading through the emotional aspects of any issue. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And trying to cut through those uh, and then trying to come back to let's raise the level some here mm -hmm. uh, and let's let's see. Let's see where these where the effects we're looking at here in your relationship 
or in if it's a single person relationship with other people. Let's let's see if the Bible explains that, and then we go above that, and we talk about uh, we talk about. I, I think a, a useful way of talking about that is why do we do good at all and not evil all the yeah. time? Yeah, absolutely, Mike. Hey, a couple things just on the sec- section of the uh, what we've been talking about here with Will and, and Marvin. It just uh, and we're going to talk about it in our next podcast, but it takes me back to that that last chapter. Those are all the uh, Satan's or the devil's uh, tactics, uh, how he attacks, uh, God, you know, uh, man, how he talk, attacks God's children. And we need to know his doctrine. And then the, the last chapter, I think, was really not uh, like I, I will agree with Will, the, the application. You know, here's here's the, 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 the tactics and here's what we can do to to circumvent those tactics are lessen the tactics of the Satan. But what my takeaway, uh, I guess when we, I first started reading this and the questions that I asked at the very beginning, and at the, uh, in the first chapter on, on the providence, it said, he, Vicky says, one of the most beautiful summaries of the doctrine of providence comes from the Heidelberg Catechism. Hmm. Uh, the providence of God is the almighty and ever pre- everywhere present power of God, whereby as it were by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yea, and all things come, not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Uh, and that, that, to me, you know, studying this, and, and I spent a lot of time on this first chapter when I initially read it, what, three weeks ago, four weeks, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. It's try, you know, try, you know, and I, I talked with Marvin a little bit about it when we left that that interview with uh, with uh, at Chick Fil A is trying to get a, a grasp on um, you know God's will, God's providence, uh, creation, and how all that just comes together. And uh, but yeah, that's a that, one piece. Yeah, yeah, that 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 one uh, summary. Uh, of providence that he quoted out of the, uh, I think the Heidelberg Catechism. That that to me uh, was, uh, you know, it is. It's a beautiful summary of what we've talked about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and honestly, it, it's very comforting. I, I think you know, Marvin, you were talking about pastoral issues. To know that God is sovereign and to know Romans 8, the promise to a believer is that God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that that Greek word there is synergo, uh, S-Y-N, you know, together and then work. Yeah. 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 So and it's interesting there that that he's not calling each and every little thing good in and of itself but all things working together is, is for good because God is, is bringing things about in the believer's life right. uh, for that. And again, I think uh, in my mind that goes to, to means and causes and things like that. Right. Is it necessarily good that you see uh, the death of a, uh, of a child, you know, that a parent has to go through that in and of itself? That's a horrible thing. But as you elevate your gaze and see what God is doing in your yeah. life as a believer, Somehow he is taking that and he is working that for your good, even though in and of itself, that is an amazingly tragic thing to have to go through. Yeah, I agree. And to escape, to escape the charge of fatalism, I think Jesus model prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a proper prayer. I mean, if you find yourself, if you find yourself in, in horrible situations, it's proper. I mean, the Psalms are full of it. 
proper to cry out unto God to deliver you from these from these events. So in other words, it's not a fatalistic uh, decree where, okay, here it is. You can say nothing. You can do nothing. You're just going to have to grit, uh, grit it out. Sometimes that's the case. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, I mean, the model prayer would suggest that God is always with us in that and is in power and control of that. Right, right. All right, well, guys, next time we'll look at the doctrine of angels and demons, and there's some very, very interesting things there, and uh, sadly, probably more questions on the side of of, of demons and their activity than holy angels and their activity. Uh, the holy angels, that's pretty cut and dry, it seems, you know, what, uh, how God uses them, dispatches them, how they're utilized. But when you talk about demons, there seems to be a, a lot there. And again, we don't want to get overly, you know, into that. That that can be very dangerous. But but we do need to know them. We do need to know what uh, what they do, what their purpose is, what they're wanting to carry out, and especially to know that that they're underneath what we just talked about today: the sovereignty of God, the sovereign providence of God. And so, uh, but a lot of questions on that, and we don't want to kind of. Uh, you know, give that sort of short treatment there. Okay. I think so, it's uh, all right. Well, with that, why don't we close in prayer? Will, would you mind closing this this morning? Sure. Okay. Father, we thank you for this time together discussing your providence, Lord. Father, I pray that everybody listening to this podcast and, and us discussing these matters, that we would grow in a deeper love and admiration for you, God, and that you would, just cause these issues and these these things that we've discussed to help us to love you more, to trust you more, and to worship you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And amen. one one more thing before we go, and I just want to tell those who are listening, uh, we are uh, when we cover angels and demons, we will uh, finish out this volume, volume number one of uh, Beaky's Reform Systematic Theology. And I would encourage you, to pick up the second volume, track with us, read with us. Uh, our goal is to read three chapters in uh, every two weeks. And I would just encourage you uh, to establish a page count to do that. Uh, that I know for me, that has very much helped to basically take my two weeks. And uh, I, I try to nail them down to five days from each week. So 10 total days, look at my page count and just simply divide it. And that's that's my goal of what I need to hit each and every day to be able to be prepared to come and to talk about that. So I would encourage y'all to do it because there's just, our time is just so limited and there's so much more that is there. I think it'll be helpful. I think Will brought out that this is not just a dry academic sort of sterile clinical uh, theology. It really is uh, heartwarming and, and, uh, and, and lifts your soul up to the Lord in worship. So, so I would encourage you as we embark on volume two, our time after next, uh, pick that volume up, um, read it, track with us, follow along with us. And, uh, and I think you'll be edified for that. All right. All right, guys. Well, we will see y'all next time. Lord willing, you can have a wonderful day and, uh, may the Lord bless you. Okay. Amen. Thank you.